everyone. Thank you all. Thank you for your patience. Thank you all very much for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to San Francisco State. I want to thank every one of you for coming out today. And of course, as appropriate, I want to acknowledge the San Francisco Board of Supervisors that's here, all the members. In particular, I want to thank Supervisor Aaron Peskin, the President of the Board of Supervisors, for being here. Thank you. You know, Supervisor Peskin took on, just our luck, took on our fourth year of budget deficits this year, and we faced it together. And his good work with Supervisor Tom Amiano, uh, head of the Budget Committee, allowed us, their leadership allowed us to pass unanimously, when has this happened, unanimously, our budget. So I want to thank you both, again, for your outstanding leadership for making that happen, all your hard work. I'd also like to acknowledge the Treasurer of the City and County of San Francisco, Jose Cisneros, who's here. We thank you, Treasurer. Next to him, uh, the Assessor, Phil Ting. We thank you, Mr. Ting, for being here. City Attorney, somewhere out there. We appreciate Dennis Herrera being here. And Kamala Harris, who's here, and District Attorney in San Francisco. The one, the only, Mike Hennessy, Sheriff of San Francisco, is here. Thank you, Sheriff. You may need him one day. I'm glad he's here. The public defender in San Francisco, Jeff Adachi. Thank you, Jeff. Former member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and now ascending to great heights in Sacramento, Assemblyman Mark Leno, who's here. Thank you, Mark, for coming here as well. Don't forget the controller, Ed Harrington, San Francisco controller. Ed Harrington. Thank you, Ed, for being here. And our new city administrator, Edwin Lee. Ed, thank you as well for coming out. And just when you thought you got rid of them, the alumni at SS State represented here today by former Mayor Willie Brown. Thank you, Mayor Brown, for coming out as well. We appreciate it. Back home at SS State. Thank you, Mayor. Also proud, very pleased to be joined by uh, the command staffs of our police and fire department, led by the chief of the fire department, Joanne Hayes White, and Chief Heather Fong. Thank you both for your great leadership during these difficult times. And appropriately, we want to thank the students and the faculty and the administration of San Francisco State uh, for allowing us here today. This is quite an impressive turnout, and we appreciate your willingness to accept us uh, on your university. You know, I, I know it's unorthodox, or at least I believe it to be reasonably unorthodox, to deliver a state of the city at a state university. Uh, but the choice this year was made uh, with purpose. You know, it's on our university, community college, and high school campuses that the future is truly taking shape. It's here at San Francisco State's Biotechnology and Life Sciences Institute at City College's Stem Cell Research Training Facility and at Lincoln High School's Biotech Academy that San Franciscans are being trained to collaborate, to connect, and to compete in today's knowledge-based economy. Never 
has this collaboration and connection and the knowledge it generates been more important to our city, our state, and our nation and the world that we are trying to shape? We are, after all, living in a rapid and historic world where change is happening at rapid pace. A world of discovery fueled by the talent and the creativity of campuses like this. Increased mobility of talent has shattered the concept of nations and sovereignty. In this age of supercharged globalization, our challenge is clear. Sit still and be passed by or imagine and lead the way. Here in San Francisco, we have always been pioneers. We've always been innovators and we've always been leaders. You know, 150 years ago, when the gold rush slowed to a trickle, San Francisco thrived by reimagining what a city can be, where manufactured products like blue jeans came to be much more worthy than gold. You know, 100 years ago, when our city was leveled by the 1906 earthquake, San Francisco's reimagined a modern city, a city of banking and commerce, a city alive with culture. And six years ago, when the dot-com boom became a bust, we imagined what could be, and today we are becoming a center for biotech, commercial life sciences, stem cell research, clean technology, and digital media. You know, this, of course, is not by accident. You know, we're San Franciscans. We've always been a city of dreamers, and we've always been a city of doers. We are steadfast in our refusal to accept the status quo when it's outlived its usefulness. We are firm. We are firm in our commitment to progress. When others would be content to retreat, we move forward. As we enter the centennial of our great quake that tested our resolve and revealed, most importantly, our strength of character, our city and our state and our nation are once again being tested. You know, just last month, we bore witness to the collapse of another great American city, a city pushed to the brink of extinction by the failure, in many people's minds, of the federal government. At the same time, we have suffered steady and steady attacks from two Republican administrations, one at the federal level and the state level, determined to hollow out all that we stand for. But we have stood united, beating back the attacks by holding true to our values of tolerance, our values of diversity and compassion. We are San Franciscans. And as San Franciscans, when others hide behind divisive ideology, we advance with common solutions. When others resort to despair, we choose hope. We're San Franciscans. And when others give up, we stand up for what we know is right. You know, as New Orleans sank, we did not sit idly by. We offered shelter and care to some 800 Katrina evacuees, and we sent 37 emergency personnel to assist the impacted area. Those personnel are here today. They just got back, and they deserve a big round of applause. We'd like to acknowledge them right here today in this audience. We thank you. We thank you for your good work, your sacrifice. We appreciate it. Everyone appreciates. There you are. Big round of applause. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. They volunteered their time on their own. We appreciate your sacrifice. You know, just last year, just put this in perspective, last year alone, some 1.1 million Americans fell into poverty. 
In response, however, San Francisco, we created the first of its kind, first of its kind in the nation, a working families tax credit. We helped last year alone some 9,500 working families claim $2.2 million locally and leveraged an additional $20 million in federal tax credits. As Medicaid and Medicare are being assaulted. New budget just comes out from the president. They're talking about $35 billion in cuts in those two programs. We, in turn, in San Francisco, expanded our universal health care for all San Franciscans 0 to 25. No city in America can lay claim to that. No one has done that. And, of course, as the assault continues, Governor Schwarzenegger been balancing his budget. He's been balancing his budget on the backs of cities and counties, last year cutting about $25 million in revenue that would have come to San Francisco. And, of course, he cut funding to our public schools, affecting our own public school system by some $60 million. We, in turn, balanced our budget by protecting vital services, not by borrowing and spending, by making tough choices, and by making an historic investment. Simply has never happened in this city, and I imagine no city can lay claim to this, by transferring $30.6 million of city general fund into our public schools. That is impressive. After school programs, nurses, arts education. I believe this. I am proud. I mean this sincerely. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud. It's never been more important to be a San Franciscan. We are unique. I think we are unique in our refusal to be defined or diminished by the divisive ideology of us versus them. You know, more importantly, we're adamant about making tough decisions and ultimately by leading by example. San Francisco today is earning a foothold in these emerging and burgeoning industries like biotech, as I've mentioned, in life sciences, clean technology, and the digital media fields. And we're in the process, I believe, of reshaping the entire global economy right here in San Francisco. You know, it's happening, just as an example, in Bayview Hunters Point, a symbol of the city that we once were, and now, increasingly, a symbol of what we are becoming. You know, this polarous, remarkable site, this sprawling site, that once employed in Bayview Hunters Point, some 8,000 San Franciscans will soon become a center for clean technology. Strong tides, high winds, constant waves, abundant sunshine, combined with our highly educated workforce and academic resources, uniquely position Bayview Hunters Point and our city more broadly to become an international leader in this emerging industry. Clean tech is projected to create some 114,000 jobs statewide in the next five years and is one, I think, of the most significant economic opportunities for San Francisco today. We will create, we will create in the next few weeks, a Clean Technology Advisory Council to advance the creation and the adoption and the use of clean technology in San Francisco. Working in partnership with Supervisor Jake McGoldrick, we created, and yesterday, the Board of Supervisors passed overwhelmingly a clean tech payroll tax exemption that will attract these new industries, and I'm proud of the Board for that action they took today, overwhelmingly targeting these industries. And, and I'm of the opinion that this targeted tax exemption is going to do the same for clean technology as our biotax credit has done for that industry. 
You think about it. Over the last 25 years, we have watched as biotechnology has emerged into a multi-billion dollar industry, creating more than 100,000 new jobs in the San Francisco Bay Area alone. And while there are over 900 life science companies in the Bay Area, we recently uh, recognized before our tax credit that there was not one headquartered in the city and county of San Francisco. But thanks, thanks to that biotax credit, championed by Supervisor Aliotto Pierre and supported by members of the Board of Supervisors, the phenomenal pace of growth in addition to that, of course, in the construction we've seen at Mission Bay has destined or rather predetermined and predestined San Francisco to be a central hub for this dynamic industries. Companies that didn't exist a year ago, like Five Prime and Cerna Therapeutics, have recently moved into Mission Bay, and I can assure you, without breaking confidences, there are a lot more on the way. This is just the beginning. When completed, Mission Bay itself will be home of 30-plus thousand permanent employees, people in jobs of life sciences and biotech and related fields. You know, increasingly, and I think you can agree with me, increasingly I think the world is looking to us, San Francisco, to end the scourge of HIV and AIDS, to find a cure for cancer, to find solutions to genetic disorders like sickle cell anemia, Parkinson's, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. Today, thanks to our focused strategy and our successful bid and effort to house California Stem Cell Institute, San Francisco and the Bay Area are ready to lead the world in these new discoveries. We are fortunate indeed that institutes in San Francisco. Very fortunate. In addition, thanks to the work of our Digital Media Advisory Council, and that got a lot of attention, but thanks to their outstanding work, we're also poised to realize the incredible potential of companies that will soon rival the likes of Pixar and all of these other, the other companies that are in the digital media world, positioning, I believe, quite confidently, positioning San Francisco to become the digital Hollywood. If you think I'm exaggerating, just consider what's happened with Lucas Art, Arts. They've brought in 800-plus thousand square feet headquartered in San Francisco. Consider what Wild Brain is doing, and consider the announcement we had just a week ago with 300 new jobs uh, through a company called Orphanage, all happening in San Francisco. And I can assure you, it's not when. It's a matter of immediacy and time that we will indeed become that digital Hollywood. We may already be there, and I think that's exciting for the prospect of this city and our future. We're pleased by that. I think, you know, San Francisco and our mission, and I put it in a broader context as a city, I think has never been more vital. Thousands of jobs are coming online as well, and we need to recognize that. We're transforming our economy and our workplace, making it an imperative that our students not only study literature, but molecular life sciences that we focus on writing and applied physics, and that we study history as well as chemistry. You know, fortune, after all, as Louis Pasteur once noted, favors the prepared mind. And that's why I'm proud today to announce that we are going to create a new and exciting high school dedicated to discovery, innovation, and technology, a school dedicated to preparing the minds of San Francisco's next generation, the science, and Technology Academy will be a unique partnership between the city, 
our school district, the University of California, San Francisco State, City College, and private biotech and commercial life sciences sector. Located in the Mission Bay, this academy will create an historic nexus between government, education, industry, and the community, co-locating high school, two-year, four-year, and graduate programs. It will offer untold opportunities of collaboration, helping teachers stay current in their fields, and it will create an unparalleled possibility by cultivating the creativity we need to sustain in our future. In this era of shrinking education and shrinking research funding, at a moment when our federal government is shortchanging the No Child Left Behind Act by some $13.1 billion, at a time when our National Science Foundation budget is being cut by more than $100 million, at a moment when our governor is engaged in, I would argue, a fruitless and utterly misguided battle with our teachers. The Science and Technology Academy. This academy is an investment in our children and an investment, indeed, in our future. It will be an incubator for their imaginations, expanding their capacity to think, and most importantly, expanding their capacity to dare. It will be a magnet for talent and a gateway to lifelong employability. Because while economic growth is a prerequisite for expanding opportunity to everyone, a trained, qualified workforce is a prerequisite for economic growth itself. Whether you're a chef, a carpenter, a teacher, or a doctor, today's workforce competes globally on a web-enabled playing field, sharing knowledge and resources in real time without regard to geography and without regard to distance. In this environment, in this environment, the ability of our workforce to compete is no longer guaranteed simply by graduating from high school. Rather, it's guaranteed by providing lifelong learning to create lifelong employability. We're competing directly with Mumbai, India. We're competing with Wellington, New Zealand, Dublin, Ireland. It's not enough to provide just the skills, however, for employment. We must also provide the tools for collaboration and the tools for innovation. And that's why we're partnering with the school district as one example in expanding Mandarin language immersion. I don't know another school district that will be doing this. This is a landmark program that will create a pipeline for qualified teachers through exchange opportunities, which will be advancing our trip to Shanghai very shortly, and will help improve academic achievement and expand our students' capacity to compete in this new age. And it's the reason we've also made universal and affordable wireless internet a top priority in San Francisco. We must view access to information to view access to information as a fundamental government service, akin, I would argue, to libraries, akin to public schools. Internet, I believe this to be true. See, it's Internet access that will allow San Franciscans to become proficient in the language of technology and connect each and every one of us to the jobs and opportunities of the new economy. But the Internet, schools, and the libraries alone, I grant, are not enough. We must also ensure that the jobs are available to residents here in San Francisco to help improve their own communities. That's why we've created, that's why we've created CityBuilt, 
This is a, an initiative that utilizes municipal construction projects to deliver training and deliver employment opportunities to city res residents. I'd like to thank Supervisor Sophie Maxwell for her tremendous leadership she has shown in making CityBuild a reality. She has been there on the front lines and deserves tremendous credit for making it a reality. The goal is to connect San Franciscans with the thousands and thousands, I don't exaggerate, jobs that will be created by capital projects like Laguna Honda Hospital and the Hachechi rebuilds. In those areas of our city where life experience often outweighs hope and disappointment too often erupts in violence, CityBuild and initiatives like it are helping, we believe, to replace despair with possibility. But we know all too well economic development and job creation are only sustainable if our streets are safe. And that's why we are very proud this year to have substantially increased our investment in our police staffing levels. We will have trained by the end of this fiscal year over 220 new recruits. This is a record number of new police officers that will be accelerated in their training and returning to the streets. And we are focused. That's a big deal. We need to keep those staffing levels up. And we're focused on, on keeping our streets, as we're focused on keeping our streets uh, safe. Uh, today, we cannot lose sight, obviously, of the need to prepare for what might come uh, tomorrow. We do not know when a disaster uh, will strike, but we do, I think, all agree uh, that we know a disaster will strike. We are San Franciscans, after all, and uh, none of us are immune to be reminded uh, and to be mindful of the past. You know, barely 16 years after the Loma Prieta earthquake, San Francisco, I believe, is more ready than ever to respond to a catastrophe, either man-made or natural. The Disaster Council, which had not met regularly over the last four years, now meets regularly each and every corner. We have also secured some $83 million in federal homeland security grants, money that we will be using to expand our local and regional capacity to respond to emergency. San Francisco has also been asked, uniquely, we have been asked to create the first of its kind in the nation regional emergency response plan that will bring together 10 Bay Area counties, the cities of Oakland and San Jose, along with the office of the State Emergency Services Department. Most notably, we have also updated our emergency operations plans for the first time in over a decade. And we've created a new secondary emergency operations plan. This document, which has never existed before, is the nuts and bolts of our emergency response. It establishes a comprehensive plan to deal with earthquakes as well as other catastrophic events. And we're putting it to the test because the truth is, I think we can agree with this, that any emergency response plan is a living and working document. That's why our emergency services now conduct monthly tabletop and field exercises. For the first time ever, for the first time ever, city and regional first responders are simulating disasters like we experienced in London and Madrid, and we're ensuring that our response is coordinated, fast, and more importantly, effective. And because we only truly can rely on ourselves to see us safely through any emergency, we also are going to create an urban search and rescue squad led by professionals from the fire department, Department of Public Works, Department of Building Inspection, 
San Franciscans will now have an even greater ability to rescue residents trapped by a disaster. Whether it's an earthquake, tsunami, a terrorist attack, San Francisco's first responders, I believe, are ready to do their job. But San Franciscans must be ready, too, especially within the first critical 72 hours following a disaster. So I ask every San Franciscan, are you ready? Do you have water? Do you have food, radio, flashlight, batteries that you need not only for yourself, but your roommates or perhaps your family? Do you have a first aid kit? Do your kids know what to do? And more importantly, where to go if an emergency hits? Do you have a carrier for your pet? Do you have essential prescriptions at your ready? I urge all San Franciscans, if you haven't done so, to go online to 72hours.org and to learn how to become emergency ready. While readiness kits are essential, there is another way in addition to those to be prepared for an emergency. And that's with our NERP program. You know, our neighborhood emergency response teams are a critical element in our ability to respond in a disaster. Currently, some 8,000 San Francisco residents are active NERT volunteers, trained and ready to help their families, neighbors, uh, safely through any emergency and event. Over the next several years, uh, with the use of additional Homeland Security grants that have come in, uh, we're going to expand this national and some would argue international model, increasing the number of NERT-ready San Franciscans by well in excess of 2,000. We want 10-plus thousand trained NERT volunteers. I want to applaud Supervisor Ma, who's been outstanding in her leadership on NERT and for her support in finding creative ways to make sure that our residents and our neighbors are ready for emergencies. We're also going to expand. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you. We're also going to expand our alert or advanced level emergency response training to increase the number of neighborhood leaders trained and ready to assist other San Franciscans and first responders during a disaster. As both your mayor and as your neighbor, most importantly, I urge every San Franciscan to become NERT certified. Build your disaster kit and do everything within your power to become emergency ready. The city is doing its part. You, we need to do ours. Without a doubt, without a doubt, the catastrophe of Hurricane Katrina made clear the absolute necessity to do just this. But it also laid bare something that is to me incredibly insidious, and that is the catastrophe of American poverty a catastrophe that we all know too well. There are places in our own city where streets are littered with blighted hope and littered with disappointment, streets where violent crime remains unacceptably high. It is clear we cannot afford to wait for our national political leaders to find the will to address these problems. It is up to us to create new political paradigm that one will be tailored with possibilities of a new world but anchored in the reality of our communities. That's why in August we launched a new strategy of community policing called City Safe. We adopted a new, new approach to crime that focuses on the fundamentals of violence, most importantly the fundamentals that will focus our efforts on prevention, youth services, community development, job creation, 
all transform with this new community policing strategy tailored to the specific needs of our unique neighborhoods. This new strategy places two community organizers and it designates two police lieutenants in every district to work with residents to develop neighborhood-specific anti-violence action plans. Supervisor Ross Mercarimi has been our ally, and I appreciate that, in our effort to make community policing a more effective tool in a fight against crime. And Supervisor Mercarimi, you deserve credit for holding me accountable to making sure it's done in short order. These action plans will be a blueprint for a safer city, coordinating everything from job training and placement to education and street lighting improvements to expanded police presence in targeted areas throughout our city. I'd like to acknowledge the community policing team that's also here with us today. I want to acknowledge all of you. Where are you? Stand up. I want to thank you for your efforts uh, to make this program a reality. We appreciate the men and women of the department that are part of this new strategy for policing. We, got, we have high expectations, let me assure you. We all have high expectations of you, but we also have every confidence uh, that you're going to meet and we anticipate exceed them. This team's on the street and will be in the community every single day, working in particular to connect our at-risk youth with education and economic opportunities to help build their future. However, we must also bear an equal responsibility to our youth already in trouble. This year will be the year we finally reform Log Cabin Ranch to create a model, a model, a model for rehabilitation that educates youth and provides long-term support for our children to make and to provide a new beginning. As part of our goal of redirecting our juvenile population away from the California Youth Authority, we are also this year will explore the development of Hidden Valley Ranch as a possible regional CYA. We will also continue in our search, never-ending effort, to find innovative solutions to the problems of crime and violence. You know, today marks, just today, marks the end of a 90-day trial period for the Western Edition safety cameras. And the data, I confess, with some objectivity, is quite encouraging. Initial figures show that these cameras contributed to a drop in crime of some 32% at the corners of Eddy and Buchanan. Assaults, robberies, burglaries are all down when compared to this time last year. In response to this early data, and at the request of the community, uh, we are committed to placing additional public safety cameras in high crime areas in the Mission, Hunters Point, and the Bayview. These cameras will go up under the same auspices that our original cameras went up. That is for 90 days only. They will be assessed for effectiveness and community support before we ever determine and ever consider extending them on a permanent basis. I acknowledge that we cannot defeat poverty or crime with a single camera or a single program. We can, however, create lasting, invisible achievements that will sustain the expectation that each year will bring greater opportunity than the last. That's why we've created the Communities of Opportunity, to rethink and retool the way the city delivers services in partnership with CBOs and in partnership with residents. It empowers one lead agency 
to effect change with the freedom and the capacity to do what is right for the community. Instead of City Hall telling residents what they need, Communities of Opportunity puts the decision-making in the hands of real people living in the community. Under the leadership of the residents of Alice Griffith, this is where the pilot began. We are in the process of creating a parent university. We've expanded already the daycare capacity in that housing authority project. We've resurfaced the streets. We've planted greenery. We've refurbished the housing, and we've built a new opportunity center. Their residents are able to find training connected to real jobs, access to the working families tax credit and health care, and learn how to build assets. And I believe that's the key. Because whether you're living in Alice Griffith, whether you're living in Bernal Heights, the Sunset, or the Richmond, it's jobs and asset building that will erase poverty and ease the burden of working families and the middle class. For our working families, the equation is quite simple. A stable, high-paying job makes it possible to build assets, and assets make it possible to buy a home and raise a family in our city. These are the fundamentals for making San Francisco a family-friendly city, a goal not only for this administration, but something I believe we're making steady progress towards. Think about it. This is amazing. Unemployment is down some 30% in San Francisco in the last 21 months. Over 8,000 new jobs have been created in the city since 2004. We're experiencing a 5.1% increase in sales tax revenue. More people are visiting us through our international airport, and in spite of the labor strife, we're seeing increase in hotel occupancy and average daily rates. And over 36, this is amazing, 36 companies have relocated their headquarters to the city and county of San Francisco, 19 in just the last nine months. That's remarkable. I can say this. Without exception, everything that should be up is up, and everything that should be down is down. We've had companies like CH2M Hill, relocate here in San Francisco. Al Gore brought Current TV to San Francisco. Cathay Pacific moved their headquarters from Los Angeles to San Francisco. Olivia Travel from the East Bay to San Francisco. These are the jobs of the future. These are the jobs of the present. These are the jobs of the new economy. These are stable jobs, and these are the jobs that provide livable wages. We're also helping families build assets through pioneering initiatives like Bank on San Francisco. Bank on San Francisco helps residents enter the financial mainstream by opening bank accounts. It may seem simple to most of us. We frankly take it for granted that we've got bank accounts, but a lot of folks are out there day in and day out going to these check cashing places and having usurious charges uh, assessed to their checks as they cash them. I want to thank, in particular, the treasurer of the city and county of San Francisco, Treasurer Cisneros, who has taken the lead in developing what I believe has become a national model with Bank on San Francisco. A treasurer, we appreciate your outstanding leadership on this. You've delivered. You have delivered. We're also opening up the doors to home ownership, making it possible for more San Franciscans to realize the dream of owning their own homes. Working very closely with Supervisor Sean Ellsverna, champion of home ownership, we've established Home 15-5. 
setting a goal to build 15,000 new units of housing over the next five years. It's an ambitious goal, I grant, particularly when you consider. You consider that during the 1990s, housing production was just over 1,000 units on an annual basis, or just over 10,000 for the entire decade. We have set a goal that we can and that we must achieve. Over the next five years, we will see the construction, I'm convinced of this, of more than 3,000 housing units each and every year, the highest level of housing construction in our city's history. Those are numbers. I'm not exaggerating when I say these are numbers we haven't seen since post-Reconstruction 1906. We're going to make that happen. And in turn, we're going to create 25,000 new jobs and generate some $4.8 billion in new construction activity. Those are not bad numbers. But more important than perhaps anything else, we're also going to build close to 5,000 new homes that are affordable to low and very low-income households with the highest annual production in our history. The highest. We also are also going to be making lasting investments in our neighborhood plans. You know, across the city, we're collaborating with San Franciscans to make a more livable and more family-friendly city. Plans for the Market Octavia area, Balboa Park, and the central waterfront are finally nearing completion. And this fall, we will begin work on the Geary Corridor, Glen Park, and Visitation Valley plans. The last 12 months, we've completed plans for the Trans Bay area, Rincon Hill, and the mid-market areas, making available opportunities for construction of thousands of new housing units and the enormous community benefits that come with them. And next year, finally, because of the leadership of Nancy Pelosi, of former mayor Willie Brown, the Third Street light rail will be complete. It's taken time. Furthering our commitment, furthering our commitment, making San Francisco a transit-friendly city, and, of course, greatly expanding Muni's capacity to get San Franciscans where they need to increasingly go, and that's to and from the southeast sector of San Francisco. You know, anchored by new housing and revitalized economic corridors, brightened by open space and parks, both walkable and accessible to transit, notable for public art and smart design, these plans will set a new standard of livability in San Francisco, one that includes such tangible abstracts as architectural excellence and architectural design. Because this time, now, the time has come to advance architecture and urban design that elevates civic pride and inspires the imagination. We will set new and very clear expectations for the kind of excellence we mean, engaging builders, architects, community leaders, and organizations in the understanding that every act to construct and change, however small, is a chance to improve our city's livability. We know, though, that business as usual at the Planning and Building Department will keep us from reaching these goals. Under new leadership, both the Planning and Building Inspection Departments are beginning those much-needed reforms. We've invested substantially in new staff and technology to streamline permitting and streamline planning in our city. We have committed to eliminating, we have a plan to eliminate in 15 months the backlog of thousands and thousands and thousands of permits and speed up the approval process. 
Assessor Ting has become a new partner in this effort to make the government to work smarter as well. He's made it a priority, just as an example, to eliminate his backlog of four years of new construction appraisals that has cost the taxpayers in San Francisco literally millions of dollars in revenue. I thank you, uh, Phil Tang, for your good work on erasing that backlog. You've only been there a few months. Only a few months. For families, though, while homeownership and asset building and jobs are clearly important, livability is determined first and foremost by the quality, in so many cases, of our public education system. That's why we have made an unprecedented commitment to our schools, our students, and our teachers. Despite the overwhelming evidence that quality teaching makes a real and obvious difference in student results and academic achievements, our schools are seeing a steady decline in teachers with four or more years of experience. They're leaving just at the point when they're having mastered the art of teaching largely because the city that they're living in they can no longer afford. We must turn the tide. Over the next five years, we will make a significant investment in bringing the best and the brightest to teach in difficult to recruit subject areas as well as hard to staff schools. We will create a new pilot initiative that will allow the city to repay, listen to this, to repay student loans for qualified math, science, and special education teachers. We have not seen a program like that in our history. And something, something I'm, I'm very excited about, we're going to create the first time home buyers program that helps and targets teachers and their family buy their first homes in San Francisco. This is also long overdue. But obviously we're going to do more. We still need to do more to improve our public schools, to encourage families to stay and raise their children in San Francisco. Just this past September, we rolled out the first phase. This is exciting. The first phase of our universal preschool program. We're going to expand this effort so that every San Francisco child, without exception, will have the advantages of early childhood learning, access the federal earned income tax credit, and save more money and keep more of what they've earned. We've set a goal as well. We've set a very ambitious goal, indeed, uh, to make universal after school a reality to all elementary and middle school kids so that San Francisco's youth have a safe place to play. It's about time we do that. We all know those critical hours, 3 to 6 p.m., and we're going to launch an information and referral website. We've been working on this, Margaret Brockin and others, been working on this for some time, an information and referral website that's created by parents for parents to better, better connect these families and parents to the incredible, and I will reinforce, the incredible resources and services that are available to families in our city. And we're going to do more. I understand the importance of this. We are going to do more to help our homeless families end and leave the cycle of homelessness. The current, the current homeless family system of care helps families only after they're in crisis. It's a backwards approach that has resulted in extraordinarily high costs and unequal returns. Because once a family has fallen into disrepair or despair, rather, it is exponentially more difficult to return them to civility. 
This system must be reformed. We will apply the same innovative housing first approach to our homeless family that has provided 1,025 homeless adults with a place to call home in the last 15 months. Let me repeat that. 1,025. That's remarkable. And has also helped create over 1,592 units of new permanent supportive housing. We had a 10-year goal to create 3,000 new supportive housing units for homeless families, a 10-year goal that we launched one year ago. We're already halfway or close to halfway to that goal in just the first year. And I just want to acknowledge and thank uh, the supervisors that have been working diligently behind the scenes on this. Of course, Angela Aliotto has just been extraordinary, and there's never a day where Bevan Dufty, Supervisor Dufty, is not knocking on my door to hold me accountable to get this moving as well. And we thank you, Supervisor Dufty. You know, Housing First will help, undoubtedly will help open the door to permanency for families, I think, just as it is done for single adults. In the next year, we're going to refocus the homeless family system to help our poorest families uh, find stability by expanding as well eviction prevention programs and augmenting our rental housing fund. We've got to stop the eviction of so many of our families. Family homelessness is quite different than adult, single adult homelessness. We recognize that and we're finally going to do something about that. We also recognize that having a home in the broader sense, goes beyond just having four walls and a roof. It's about being part of a neighborhood and about being part of a larger community. That's why we are shaping a new urban environment in San Francisco, creating a city rich with public art, green spaces, clean streets, and community gardens. We're tapping our creative best to create a more livable city. We've broken ground on a new Academy of Sciences that will meet the world's highest standards for green building design. We've completed, yes, finally, we have completed the new Octavia Boulevard, transforming, <laughs> long overdue, transforming that elevated freeway into a greenway anchored by a vibrant new park. We've opened the new DeYoung Museum just recently, already, already. The de Young has become an international architectural icon. And we have inspired a renaissance, quietly inspired a renaissance of public art that can be experienced, you know this, can be experienced now at over 200 sites across this city. Like the David Best sculpture at Hayes Green or Michael Christian's ambitious new work called Flock. Get ready for this. That will be coming in front of our city, our city hall and the Civic Center in just about 30 days. This will be audacious. This will generate some controversy, and I'm looking forward to it, as that's the point of public art. Bring back the foot, Mayor Brown. It is here. It is here in our public spaces, our streets, our squares, our parks, our buildings, that the resourcefulness and the imagination of our city is truly revealed. Just last June, we were so proud, just last June, mayors from around the world, from almost every continent on the globe, joined me in signing the UN Environmental Accords. First time in the World Environment Accords history 
they came to the United States of America, and appropriately so, as we celebrated the 60th anniversary of the founding of the United Nations here in San Francisco 60 years ago in June. We should be proud of that. Let's not forget that. These accords, these accords reflect our, our commitment to make San Francisco a model of urban greening and sustainable living. Investing in renewable energy and open space and increasing our recycling rates and improving our neighborhood parks. With these accords, we made a commitment to the world and to our entire city. We can do better and we will. We are launching a new initiative that will allow us to take a green leap forward in the next five years. Thanks to our newly adopted budget, and our Livable City Initiative, we are going to invest an historic amount of money, $11 million, to transform our major thoroughfares, thoroughfares like Van Ness Avenue and 19th Avenues, into lushly planted thoroughfares. Retail corridors like San Bruno and Leland Avenues, Polk Street, will be allowed to express their unique neighborhood character with distinctive gateways, trees, and flowers. And speaking of trees, we have a five-year goal and commitment to plant 25,000 trees in the city and county of San Francisco. We will achieve that goal. Residential districts, residential districts will also be improved block by block, as it was recently, Supervisor Peskin, the chance to be out there on Broadway Street to improve traffic calming and pedestrian safety in San Francisco. Schoolyard gardens. Just imagine if we took all of our concrete schoolyard gardens. We are going to do just that and allow them to take root as new parks that will bloom and be green and will be sustainable. A true example to our youth. This is an exciting opportunity for our city. And we're going to create, we're going to create a matching grant program called the Community Challenge Fund. This will allow us to encourage neighborhoods to partner with the city and transform unused public lands, median strips, and sidewalks into landscaped, friendly, green spaces. And this spring, this spring, finally, we will shut down the polluting Hunter's Point power plant for good. It is coming down. Decades of promises that plant will be shut. Finally, and we'll get to that Petrero plant shortly thereafter. We're also going to expand. This has been a big success for us. We're also going to expand our community benefits districts to include six new neighborhoods, further proving, or rather further expanding on this proven grassroots economic development tool. Five communities led by the good work of members of the San Francisco Supervisors, have already been adopted. People are enthusiastic about these CBDs, and they truly can promise, I think, uh, and deliver on uh, really revitalizing these neighborhoods. We're also going to uh, be introducing, I'm excited as well about this, a landmark Better Streets Ordinance that sets out comprehensive standards for landscaping and street design. I look forward to working with the supervisors to share this vision and to make it reality for our city. This comes from a lot of focus and energy and looking at best practices across this country and notably uh, in Chicago, which has truly been transformed from an industrial age city uh, to a truly shining city uh, without a hill, but uh, apparently on a hill. Uh, we as well know that greening is just one part of making our city more livable. 
we have that livable city initiative that's also going to make San Francisco a leader in green building design, setting the highest standards of efficiency and sustainability for new developments. We're also looking at long-term solutions to the problems of energy costs and energy consumptions. That's why I've directed, just did this, I've directed that every city department in San Francisco place solar panels on their roof. It's not good enough just to have it in Moscone. Without exception, we need to do this. Think about it. For every 50,000 square feet of solar panels that we install, we will generate 500 kilowatts of energy, enough to power a building the size of City Hall, truly creating a sustainable, livable city is an environmental imperative and an economic necessity. As we reshape our urban environment, as we reimagine San Francisco as a city of possibility, a city that will attract families and so nurture our next generation, we recognize that we need to attract economic investment so that we can ensure that our basic needs are met. A city that will attract talent, a city that will attract creativity, and so guarantee that we are positioned to connect, collaborate, and compete in this new world economy. We are looking to the future, even as we tend to the present, for we recognize that we can neither thrive nor compete if we don't first fulfill our obligation to take care of those living in our city. That means providing universal health care access for all San Franciscans. We can make this happen. This is, this is ambitious, I grant you, but we can make this happen. We estimate there's some 83,000 San Franciscans that currently go without health care insurance. That does not mean, don't think for a second, that does not mean, though, that 83,000 San Franciscans are without medical care. In fact, many of these residents already access our primary care through our city's comprehensive health system. For example, every single year, over 98,000 people are seen at San Francisco General Hospital alone, and more than 100,000 people access one of our 15 primary care clinics across the city. We spend over $1 billion annually, yet we must acknowledge that literally thousands of San Franciscans continue to fall through the health care cracks each and every year. We must do better. And we must do better by creating universal access for all of our residents. Question is, how do you do it? Well, one, I think it's high time, long overdue, that we have a comprehensive audit of our public health care system. We've got to re-engineer our primary care delivery so that we know what's working and we know what's not and we can fulfill this goal. Two, we need to build on the lessons learned. Just recently, the lessons learned, for example, at Tom Waddell Clinic. You know, we have cut the average time that someone spends at Tom Waddell from 90 minutes to 45 minutes. We've shortened wait times, and we've increased productivity there by 30% by just thinking outside the box. Now, savings like this are going to allow us to provide more immunizations, more checkups to more patients throughout the city, and obviously engage uh, individuals in our city's network of care without, and I would argue, without increasing costs. Third, we will expand our clinic hours. We need to do this. Expand our community clinic hours so that working families can access the care they need on evenings as well as weekends. We've got a plan to do this, and we're going to do it.
You watch. We will succeed in this. And lastly, this is overdue as well. And lastly, we will hire a new chief operating officer to work with the Department of Public Health to ensure this universal access. I want Mitch Katz and others to be focused on larger vision and larger planning issues. We need a COO that's there day in and day out attending to the details. Look, at every level, we are investing and have been investing in our health care system that clearly will sustain us through this new century. But we must provide, as I said, universal access to every San Franciscan, young and old alike. And when I say every San Franciscan, young and old alike, I mean we need to come to grips with our aging and graying population. Senior citizens represent the fastest growing population in the city, accounting for over 18% of all of our city uh, residents. With advanced age comes the need, obviously, for more services, increased care, both to prevent elder abuse and neglect and to ensure that our seniors can remain in their homes, living in dignity and in place rather than high cost and personal institutional settings. To make this possible, however, you know, we need to create a new long-term care coordinating position in city government to ensure that our seniors have access to the full array of living and care options. We have an obligation to do so. We are in for it. If we're just going to focus on the stale debate about how many SNF beds we have at Laguna Honda and not consider beyond Laguna Honda, we are going to be in a crisis in responding to it in an inappropriate way. We have the opportunity to organize our strategies and organize them in a way that we can truly connect the dots between our boarding care homes to make sure our transportation systems are in place and to make sure, again, that people are aging in dignity and aging in place. This is compassionate. And this is right. And it's also, it's also good government. And it's a clear, I think, illustration, I hope, of our resolve as a city to change the way we do business. Look, if we're going to compete, and I would argue we are competing right now, it's not just nations and nations competing or states versus states. We're competing with other cities and regions, not only within our state and our country, but we're competing with cities like Toronto, like Tokyo. We're competing with cities and regions around Tel Aviv. And we can no longer afford to do things simply because that's the way they've always been done. If we're going to compete, we must first, though, put our house, our own house, in order. In San Francisco stat, this SF stat, this is working. San Francisco stat is a first step. Every week we meet and we hold department heads accountable to real results. This innovative management tool is truly transforming the way city government works. You know, we have been able to, in the last 15 or so months, eliminate in excess of 1,500 positions. We've reduced our payroll by $78 million. We have consolidated over six city departments. We've seen workers' comp go down 15%. I said down workers' comp 15% from the previous year, a savings of over $5.6 million. We've seen overtime. Go figure. We've seen overtime go down $9.3 million compared to where it was 24 months ago, and the impossible was made possible. The fire department alone lowered their overtime by $2.7 million. Congratulations to our firefighters. That's not bad. 
That's because we've been creative and we're finding ways to do more with less in a challenging environment. And that's why, as well, we've been tough and, and, on some of the things that a lot of us have just come to accept. And for example, we've reduced our city's vehicle fleet by some 21% just in the last 12 months alone. And in turn, we've been able to redirect $1.2 million dollars in savings by that action alone to things that matter most to San Franciscans. Our cell phone use is down. Cell phones. Not everyone needs a cell phone. Not everyone had a cell phone when things were going even better in this town. And we've reduced them by one-third. I'm hardly popular, but we've reduced them by one-third. And we've saved, can you believe this? We have saved just by doing that over $1 million this year alone by just renegotiating cell phone bills and reducing the number of cell phones in city government. We've also initiated, and I'm so pleased, you know, this budget reflected a lot of good things this year. And one of the things uh, that I think is going to pay great dividends is this investment in new cost-saving measures, an investment of some $10 million in efficiency projects that will produce, we believe conservatively, uh, $23.7 million in reduced costs or increased revenues over the next 10 years. We're making smart investments and we're taking uh, it upon ourselves to make good decisions that not only impact and benefit us today, tomorrow, but next year, but also a decade from now. And one example of that is our investment in our 311 system. This is going to greatly improve our customer service and satisfaction at City Hall. Imagine, just imagine, it's long overdue, but this is about to happen. Imagine having one point of contact, one number to call, answered by a human being, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, to report a stolen wallet, to have graffiti removed, or to have a street lamp in front of your home fixed. 311, I assure you, I promise you, will revolutionize the way this city does business, making City Hall instantaneously accessible and, I would argue, much more accountable. Throw out those thousand-plus phone numbers. Just remember two, 911 and 311 for everything else. It's on its way, and it's a big deal for this city. We also, in an effort to do even more, have just begun the process of undertaking an overall of our entire century-old civil service system. We will require, we will require for the first time, mandatory performance evaluations of all our city employees as the cornerstone of an efficient and effective management system. And since, this is remarkable, and since 43% of our workforce currently is now 50 years or older. We've directed all city departments to create a seamless workforce transition plan to ensure that there is no interruption when we see mass retirements in essential services. We're also going to simplify the civil service rules that currently compromise, I'm not exaggerating, that currently compromise four encyclopedia-sized volumes of regulations. These old rules relied on, for example, a very cumbersome hiring process. Do you know, forget firing people, do you know that it could take a city department up to one year to hire a qualified candidate to do their job? 
Now, you don't talk about competing against other regions and other cities and competing for talent and the best and the brightest, and it takes you a year to get permanent employment in San Francisco. That is wrong. And today, I'm very pleased that thanks to reforms that Phil Ginsburg and others have made, those reforms that now have been put into place, that it will soon take, it's still too long, but it will no longer take six to 12 months. It will take less than 60 days for departments to hire uh, permanent employees. It's a step in the right direction, and it's long overdue. Like I said, we cannot afford business as usual. And make no mistake about this. I want to make this clear. I am firmly committed to reforming city government and firmly committed to advancing our efforts in a collaborative way, a spirit of us, not versus them, about working together uh, with all our civil service uh, representatives, our labor unions, to reform our civil service commission and system. Now, with that, across the board, I would argue uh, that we, as we are challenged in this new age, are beginning to challenge ourselves to respond to these new challenges. Uh, we, I think, in this city, objectively, have become more nimble. We've become more flexible. We are increasingly providing better services, more efficiently, and we're doing it in ways we haven't in the past by partnering with the people of the city and county of San Francisco. This concept for governing a city today is very simple. Government only works if the people it serves are connected in a meaningful way to the services they need. That's why, and any of you have witnessed this, that's why Project Homeless Connect has proven such an effective solution, a solution that we see in action each and every month at the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium. Since we started Project Homeless Connect in October of last year, some 11,000 San Franciscans have volunteered their time to help connect over 5,000 homeless individuals with food and medical care and other vital assistance. We've partnered with over 100, this is amazing, over 150 companies like LensCrafters and Nextel, even Luxor Cabs stepped up, as well as over 100 nonprofits, Dolores Street Community Services, Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic, Glide Memorial, as well as St. Anthony's Dining Room, tapping into our city's diverse network of resources and expanding our capacity to care. We've provided hundreds and hundreds of homeless San Franciscans with immediate detox, shelter, and housing with comprehensive case management. And we've helped them, in turn, take their first step, step towards stability. One such person, this is, a, this is a, a wonderful story. One such person is here today, Kendra Stewartson. Kendra, listen to this. This is remarkable. Kendra is a Vietnam veteran who also happens to be transgender. She's a Homeless uh, Connect volunteer who became now Homeless Connect Volunteer of the Year. And she was a former Homeless Connect client last year. In fact, last December, a Connect volunteer found Kendra lying in the doorway on Larkin Street. She agreed reluctantly to go to a linkage station. She was given lunch, a checkup and housing right away. And that's when Kendra, Kendra started to turn her life around. Today, Kendra is in permanent housing, is a member of our Homeless Connect senior leadership team, and she is currently now teaching Connect volunteers how to approach homeless people. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I am very pleased that Kendra is here today. Kendra, can you stand up and just be identified? You're an example for all of us. We thank you, Kendra. Amazing story. On the streets a year ago. No hope in sight. Don't anyone tell me we can't turn this issue around. I promise you, I know we can because we have evidence just like that. We've proven that we can turn this situation around. Kendra, of course, her story is just another example of the extraordinary outcomes that we can achieve when we refuse to accept the status quo and dare to ask what if. You know, Kendra is one of the many reasons, it's just one reason, why 17 cities, including Miami and Chicago, Portland and Atlanta, are taking part in a National Homeless Connect Day on December 8th, when cities across this country will implement our successful model for innovation and our successful model for change. That time they look to us to look on these issues. And I would argue, I would argue, Kendra's just another reason why now more than ever it's essential for all of us to be San Franciscans. And I mean that with sincerity. You know, in this era of divisive prosperity with income inequality, the likes of which we have never seen, where we have growing poverty, some 37 million Americans living below the poverty line, when mediocrity so often has been replaced as replaced talent, and ideology has trumped in so many cases compassion at the very highest level of governments, San Francisco, our city, stands for, I think, something great. A city has always been, this city has always been more than just a place. San Francisco is about an idea, an idea that diversity builds a stronger society, that tolerance advances democracy, and that compassion is essential for a better world. This is what we stand for. This is not an idea, however, without adversaries. That's why it's never been more important to be a San Franciscan, from Washington to Sacramento, the very foundations that support a diverse and tolerant city like ours are being undermined and hollowed out. But here, anchored firmly in our enduring values, San Francisco is leading the country and the world by setting a different example. We are on a clear path forward, powered by our imagination and powered by our ingenuity. We've successfully adapted to the new world economy, laying stake to new industries and emerging as a center of creativity, as a center of discovery, talent, and a center for tolerance. We have set the bar high, no doubt, and we will continue to push it even higher, taking risks and identifying solutions to the challenges that we share. Ladies and gentlemen, I can say this proudly as a San Franciscan, that the state of our city is strong and it is growing strong, much stronger each and every day. Ahead of us, no doubt, lie great challenges, but also great days. And we're ready. We're a small city, sure, but we dare to think big, bound only by our capacity to imagine. In these times when the very idea of a city like ours is under attack, we offer I offer a vision, not for a hollow city, but for a whole city. And I ask you, I ask each and every one of you to join me as we embark on a shared voyage of possibility. Thank you all very much for being here. Thank you for your attendance. Thanks for making San Francisco such a special place. Thank you. Thank you.